Church Sunday Message Podcast. On this episode, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, is leading us into a message about Jesus being the vine. If you want to watch the video of this message or listen to this week's worship, you can do so on our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or on our Brookwood Church app. We pray this message encourages you in your walk with Christ. In this series, Jesus used seven different metaphors. Actually, sometimes it was more than one at a time. Or sets of metaphors to describe himself here just in the book of John. And each metaphor or each word picture began with the sacred, but remember I told you, unspoken personal name of God that was translated from the Hebrew consonants Y-H-W-H in English, and it's translated I am, which identified Jesus as divine, as equal with God. Now, the first six images were the bread of life, the light of the world, the gate for the sheep, the good shepherd. Then there were two when he spoke to Mary and Martha, the resurrection and the life. And then last week we covered three, I am the way, the truth, and the life that Jesus spoke to his disciples in the upper room. Now, each image or each word picture revealed a different aspect of the nature, character, and the role of Jesus on earth. Has anybody seen some different aspect of Christ in this series? Uh Uh-oh, I haven't done too well. Let me know if you have. You've seen some, something different in who Jesus is and the way he functioned. Y'all are getting scared to death to be called on, aren't you? Today, we turn to the final image. John chapter 15. If you'll take out your message guide, you'll see the outline is on the first two panels. And I use the NIV because it says, I am the true vine. The New Living says the grapevine, and I don't, that's not in the Greek, it's implied, however. It was a grapevine being referred to. Now, this statement was also made by Jesus in the upper room during that same conversation during Passover week. The disciples and Jesus had just had the Last Supper. And so he's telling them some important things before they're about to face a very threatening time. That very evening, he would be arrested. He would be falsely tried through the night, wrongfully convicted, and then cruelly crucified the next morning. So we want to look a little bit at this reflection, this self-description of Jesus as we reflect on it. Now, he uses the vine. Vines were familiar to everyone in Israel. They grew throughout the land. Many of the people participated in their cultivation and also in winemaking. In addition, there was a great golden vine with a large cluster of grapes that decorated the temple. So the vine or the vineyard was used as a symbol of Israel really throughout the Scripture. 
is found in many different places in the Old Testament. Notably, I've given you some references there in Psalm 80, in Isaiah 5, in Jeremiah 2, in Hosea 10, but also in the New Testament in a parable that's found in Matthew 21. But all of these references stress Israel's unfaithfulness and the resulting judgment that follows. Now, Jesus claimed to be the true vine, the one who represented God accurately, who would spread the blessings of God through the people, and the one whose branches would fulfill their purpose of producing fruit if they remained attached to him. So we'll look at several different results of remaining in Jesus. And I've I put a definition there for you. The Greek word is minnow, just like the fish. And what it means is to stay, to abide, to continue, to dwell, to endure. So if we remain in Jesus, if we stay, abide, continue, dwell, endure, we will produce fruit. John 15. And in this Bible that's available here, it's on 868, page 868. He begins at verse 1. I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. Now the gardener, some translations say the vine dresser, does two things. They're listed here. He cuts off the dead branches. They're rotting. Maybe they're, they're already st- have a little life, so they're drawing nutrients, but they may also be introducing disease. You know, when, a, when a, even a tree becomes stressed, that's when the bugs can attack. I had a 60-foot white oak tree, some stones in the, cultiva- in the um, development of the neighborhood were put over the root system. And so even though it lived more than a decade afterward, it was diminishing. And then little tiny beetles destroyed a 60-foot oak tree. So that this non-fruit producing, this diseased or this dead and decaying branch would be cut away. But he would also trim or prune those living branches, those that were bearing fruit, so they could bear more fruit, so that he could improve their potential and their production. You see, what will happen too is untrimmed vines will produce all kinds of rambling runners or or branches and also suckers that will grow near the ground. And they'll absorb large quantities of nutrients. And also there'll be many, many leaves produced. But the production of leaves and the production of these sprawling branches reduces the production of fruit. So these leafy shoots and these suckers are cut off. God the gardener 
cut some things off of our lives as well. You had anything trimmed away? He prunes our lives to encourage greater fruit bearing. Now, it may be that he cuts away sinful attitudes and destructive habits that are sapping our spiritual strength, that are limiting our spiritual growth. And even right now, as I say this, God may be pointing something out in your life that you know is draining away spiritual strength, is reducing what you produce for Christ. Very often, the gardener will prune a person out of your life. A person who is influencing you away from him. A person who is guiding you into an unfaithful lifestyle. Sometimes we sign up for missionary dating. God never advocates that. I've seen people that wanted to be in in romance so terribly, they would accept someone who had little interest, but maybe was just willing to show up at church occasionally. And what happens is they get pulled away. I've seen people who started relationships who were taken away from church because the person they had linked with had other things in mind. And while you're sitting in church, you're being reminded of a moral, godly lifestyle. And so, you know, when someone is cut away, we, we weep and we're in pain and we mourn and we think, how could God possibly do this? Let me see some hands now. Everybody's awake now, right? How many of you have had someone cut out of your life that in retrospect you knew would have been damaging to your life, to your spiritual life? Look at this, y'all. Hold them up. Look around this room. The gardener is at work. And at the time you think he's producing pain. But what he's producing is he's improving your fruit bearing your spiritual life. And the targets of this trimming are fruit-bearing branches. And those branches represent true Christians. Non-fruit-bearing branches represent unbelievers, and they're cut off. Verse 3. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. And what he means by this is you've been born again. In our, in our vernacular, we've, you've been saved. Well, really Christ's vernacular. You've been forgiven of your sins through the word of God, the good news. Some of your translations may say you've been cleansed. Who, who has that version? You've been cleansed, which means that sin has been removed from you. It's been forgiven. And trimming typically takes the form of discipline. But that discipline, even though sometimes we grow angry with God that we're suffering pain, that discipline, according to Hebrews chapter 12, is proof that we belong to him. I mean, how many of you discipline children that aren't your own? You'll be in trouble if you do, I promise you that. 
Unfortunately, some of us don't discipline our own children. But what that shows is not a greater love. It shows a lesser love. Because we, we are so codependent, we need this child's affection. So we're unwilling to shape this child to serve God and for greater fruit bearing. Disciplinary pruning occurs very often through trials and troubles. Some of you are in the midst of it right now. And those trials and troubles have the potential to strengthen your faith and to deepen your trust. Now, it won't happen if you just fight it, fight at every step. If you're just angry and frustrated with God that such a thing could happen to you, you may find yourself back learning this same lesson. But if we can embrace this lesson, painful though it is, then we can be grown and we may not have to learn the same one again. We can learn other ones and develop greater endurance. That's Romans 5, 3 and 4. That's James 1, 2 through 4. Spiritual pruning also occurs this way. It's an inward work. When the Spirit of God convicts us of sin, using Christ's words, perhaps out of the Bible, possibly a message, or just the Spirit of God reminding you of His truth. And the Spirit confirms truths within you. Have you ever had the Spirit of God just flip something in you and show you something that you had never seen. Do you know what I'm talking about? It may have been an ugly attitude that you had and you weren't even aware of it. It may have been an unchristlike behavior and you had ignored it for so long you didn't even recognize it anymore. And the Spirit of God gave you truth. Perhaps it was just something you believed. Something about how you saw yourself or the way you saw God or the way you saw that this world function. And suddenly a different light comes on and you get transformed in your thinking. Has that happened to anyone? Okay, y'all got to help me here. I just think I'm wasting somebody's time, which won't make me quit. It'll make me go longer. But see, that's pruning. When the Spirit of God shows you a lie that you believed and turns on the light and changes it to truth. And the way you function will be different in that area. Fruit bearing is not the result of human effort. It's the natural result of remaining in Christ. Of being led by Christ. His spirit. Verse 4. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. It will shrivel up and die. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Now this isn't saying you can't be religiously active. It says you can't be spiritually fruitful. Those are two very different things, though they may look similar. Well, how do we remain in continual contact with Christ? Is that, is that puzzling to you? Well, I can't be reading my Bible all the time. 
I can't pray all day. I have to work. Well, you can pray continually, can't you? But first, you must be born again. Because if you're born again, that means you possess the Holy Spirit within. So the line of communication is constantly open. How many of you are texting a friend or family member all day, every day? I want some honesty here. Okay, at least five times a day. Let me have that. Please, yes, finally. Lord, don't strike them. I'm trying, I'm trying to help them be honest. But that line of communication, you see, is opened continually when the Spirit of God is within. You're already connected to God. So what you say is directly to His ears. And what He speaks back is directly into your spirit. If you possess the Spirit of God. We also remain in Christ when we're, we're led by the Spirit. So we have to become sensitive to His voice. How many of you can tell when the Spirit of God is speaking to you? Can you? You ever, you ever have something happen, Jim, where you're about to do something or say something and you hear that, nope, all the time. <laughs> Not that, not that, but it's not her, right? It's the Spirit. But if the Spirit of God, if we're born again, the Spirit of God is functioning like that all the time. I don't, I don't mean that every one of us is sensitive to it because sometimes we deny it and we think it's something we ate. But that Spirit is, that spirit is speaking to you, leading you into truth. That's what the Scripture says. So when you hear that, nope, 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 stop, pause, pray, ask for direction before you keep moving. But that's the way that you stay continually connected. But we do pray, we do read our Bibles, we do fast. I still fast every Tuesday. My wife said now there's this dieting program that thinks that fasting 12 hours, you know, a couple of times a week is wonderful. I said, well, see, I'm a genius, nutritionally <laughs> I'm a nutritional genius, but I still fast Tuesdays, every Tuesday from I eat supper Monday night, I eat supper the next Tuesday night. But, but it doesn't mean something supernatural happens every week, but it's just clearing something out. And some of it is just saying, I'm committed to denying myself so that I can hear from you. What are you denying? Just, just to show you're committed I'm not saying that God honors it because of the effort, but you're just saying, I'm, I'm here showing up, ready to hear. Fellowship with other believers. Do you have any meaningful Christian relationships? I'm not talking about Christian relationships that talk about football. You may do some of that. I'm talking about relationships that are about staying connected to Jesus Christ. And I speak in your life and you speak in my life with courage. Y'all have heard me say this many times. There are a lot of sins that could have been prevented 
And I believe a lot of homes that could have been spared if there had been courageous Christians standing close enough, willing to speak. Do you agree with that? Staying connected to Christ, though, does require some effort. It does require some effort. Well, what's the fruit? What is the fruit that's born? That's, it, well, it, it includes works of service. It includes generosity motivated by concern for others. Well, it just con- includes concern for others. If, if all of your concern and interest is on yourself, I'd have to say, is the Spirit at work in you? But these efforts flow not out of human kindness. They're Spirit-produced from Christ-like character. Y'all know this passage, Galatians 5. I have to look over my head today. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there is no law against these things. Can you see those, that fruit? Some say it's really only one fruit that, that shows itself in all those ways. Can you see that in your life? And are you seeing it in greater measure as you remain in Christ? Are you bearing spirit-produced fruit? Just stop right here and ask yourself, am I bearing this spirit-produced fruit? And is it happening in increasing measure? Because if you're not bearing it, the Spirit may not be present. If you, if you are bearing some, but it's those little bitter grapes, you know, the little hard ones, and it's, it's, it's not anything very attractive, and it's not getting better, something's wrong. Something's wrong in your relationship with Christ. Remaining in Jesus also proves salvation. Verse 5. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And this is a repeat from verse 4 above. So he's restating this twice. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. And again, this is the non-fruit producing branches mentioned in verse 2. See, a grapevine is only good for bearing clusters of fruit. The wood of a vine is too soft and it's too crooked. It's too twisted to cut into lumber to build buildings or to craft furniture. It's, It's too weak. Now, sometimes, you know, you see vines being used for decorations, but they're not really valuable in construction. And the person who doesn't remain in Christ is likewise thrown away like a useless withered branch and burned. But not burned to provide heat because grapevines burn too quickly. They, don't even, they won't even heat your house. 
so who's represented here in this useless, non-remaining branch? Well, the one that's represented is not a true believer. And here's why. Because you see, merely the fact of being born again is fruit-producing. Look at the, the, the most major change, spiritual change, that can occur in your life is being born again. And then it's refined as, you're, as you increase and you increasingly give more fruit, bear more fruit. But the initial change is the greatest change that occurs spiritually. But the person who doesn't remain, the person who produces no fruit represents the unbeliever. But hear me this. Now, y'all tighten. I want you to tune in. This is an unbeliever who appears connected to Christ. You hear me? Because, see, you can do anything in human power that we do in spiritual power. It's just not authentic. And it's not spiritually driven. And you can't maintain it. But someone who appears to be connected to Christ for a while. But they bear no spiritual fruit. Meaning there is no lasting change in their character. There are few good works prompted by the Spirit. And there's limited generosity toward eternal causes. But you know what? Somebody can get as excited about coming to church as they can about the Kiwanis Club or raising money for some heart fund. See, you can do some things that look spiritual, but you won't maintain it over a lifetime. When it's produced by the Spirit, it continues and increases over life. But when you've seen people who have a spurt and then stop, and a spurt and then stop, and then spurt, that's not evidence of conversion. James 2.26, don't turn there, but it's, y'all know this, faith without works is dead. That doesn't mean that good works equate to faith. It means that good works are evidence of faith. Good works result from faith. They don't cause faith. You see the difference? But if you have no works, you better look closely. Do you wonder, anybody wonder why Jesus is making this point? Because it seems a little negative, doesn't it? Does anybody question that? What about you, Linda? Do you question it? Remember this. Remember what's happened in this same conversation, in this same dinner. They've only been sitting there at most a couple of hours and probably less than that. He's just told them that one of them, one of them sitting around the table who's been with them for three years, who's been doing ministry with them every day, is going to betray him. And you know what? He told them that in John 13, 21, but he had told them the same thing a year earlier in John chapter 6, at verse 63. And so Jesus was explaining someone can look like a follower and lack the fruit that shows that he, does, that he truly belongs to Christ, that he's not born again. And this teaching is throughout the Scripture, the parable of the soils in Matthew chapter 13, the, the wheat and the tares in Matthew chapter 13 as well. 
Those who said, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these good works for you in Matthew chapter 7 and also in John 6. There, there's this teaching is throughout the scripture. And he's saying, beware that you don't have some religion and not have Christ. Because you can fool yourself. This does not mean a person can be saved and then lost. You hear me? Because as Jesus said at John 6, 37, I think it's up here. However, those the Father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. See, when you're born again, you've been given eternal life. You're not the same. You're changed and all of your sins, past, present, and the ones in the future are forgiven. You have a different nature. John 10, 28 and Verses 28 and 29 says, no one can snatch you from the son's hand or the father's hand. You can't snatch yourself. But you don't want to because you have a different nature. You understand? How could I mistreat someone I love? Someone who's died for me. This, this teaching that you can be saved and lost and saved and lost is just looking at human behavior. It's denying regeneration by the Spirit of God. Does that make sense? Judas appeared saved, didn't he? They entrusted him with the money sack. If they thought he wasn't even a believer or a, follower, a true follower, would they have given him all the money? They were unclear that night who the betrayer was. You see, if it'd been obvious, they would have all looked at Judas. But they were going, well, who's he talking about? Who's he talking about? Even after Jesus handed him a piece of bread, he says, the one I give this sop to. And he hands him a piece of bread that he dipped in the bowl. And they still are confused because they can't believe it could be Judas. John 13, 22 through 28. Here's the fact. Here's, the, here's what should weigh on every one of us. Most people in America, and particularly most people in the South, profess to be Christians, believe that they are. Many even attend church occasionally and even perhaps give a little money, although you see less of that. But their lives and their priorities indicate otherwise. 1 John 2, 19. Are you bearing fruit which proves your salvation? It doesn't earn your salvation. It reveals your salvation. Remaining in Jesus promises answered prayer. Verse 7. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings great glory to your Father. Well, does this verse really mean that you can make any request you want to and get whatever you ask? Does it? Does it? 
How many no's? Hands. How many yeses? Y'all will be through in a few minutes. <laughs> How many yeses? Yes, that's exactly what it means. It does mean that, but there are some conditions. Remaining in Jesus and his words remaining in you. If we minnow, which means we stay, we abide, we continue, and we endure in Jesus, and his words dwell in us, the Holy Spirit changes our desires. Our desires, our wants, our wishes become conformed to Jesus' will. I mean, if, if there's someone you're married to that you love, don't your desires end up reflecting theirs? At least, at least to a greater degree and an ever-increasing degree. Well, imagine if we remain in Christ and His Spirit remains in us. And y'all know this passage from Romans chapter 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, when we're changed, we think more and more like Christ. Paul said he had the mind of Christ. Guess what? We can as well. And when we have the mind of Christ, guess what? Those old self-centered prayers, they just sort of disappear from our vocabulary, don't they? Because we want what he wants. We ask for things that he desires to give. And when we pray these spirit-led prayers that are consistent with the character and purpose of Christ, that's the same as praying in Jesus' name. As he said, ask for anything in my name and you'll receive it. John 14, John 16. When we pray according to the will of Jesus, he always grants our requests. Look at 1 John 5. And we're confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know that he hears us when we make our request, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. Are your prayers being answered? Are your prayers being answered? If not, are you asking awry? Remaining in Jesus lastly promotes joy. And this is verse 9. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. Don't miss this. Jesus loves you with the same love that the Father loves him. I want you to feel that for a minute. Jesus loves you with the same love that the Father loves him. See, some of us think that we're, we're always kind of put in detention hall by Jesus or right at the edge of being punished or he's disappointed in us. And if you think that Jesus is disappointed in you, you haven't heard from him. And you need to ask the Spirit 
to tell me what you think of me. Because Jesus loves you as fully, without reservation, without restraint, in the same way his Father loves him. Isn't that what it says? Verse 10, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. See, we look at this and say, oh, well, I have to be. He's making me behave or else he's going to punish me. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that we experience his love continually when we obey what he wants, which means we stay in harmony with him. You married people, is, is your house different when the two spouses are in harmony and when they're not? Who thinks it's different when there's disharmony? And who thinks it's better when there's harmony? Do you feel more love when there's harmony? That's what the verse means. That's what the verse means. Not, you have to do this. If you don't do everything, I'm mad with you. That, yet, that's what we project onto Jesus so often, isn't it? It's not what he's saying at all. He's already been punished for you. He's saying, walk with me so we can stay close. We disrupt our intimacy when we deliberately disobey what we know. John 15, 11, I told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. See, we're so connected that the joy of Christ becomes projected through us. Now, joy is different than happiness. Happiness is dependent on happenstance, on circumstance. But when we remain in intimate communion with Jesus, the result is joy that results from knowing the love of Christ always. Even when you're suffering under under difficulty, under problems, under troubles, even in the midst of disasters. We can have joy when suffering because we know from Romans 8, 28 that God is even working out this bad situation for our good. Have you, when's the last time or have you ever rejoiced in difficulty because you could say, I know the God that loves me will be intentional in this to change me. See, that's how Christians ought to be able to face difficulties. Am I experiencing joy? Am I obeying Christ's commands and experiencing his love? And am I fulfilling God's purpose in and through me. Counselors, you come. You know, if you're someone and you say, well, some of that stuff Perry's saying, I'm not sure whether it applies to me. Well, don't leave here today without at least talking with someone, having someone pray with you, pray for you, anoint you with oil for healing, for faith, for whatever the issue might be. And I want to remind every one of you, you heard JC say this, Next week, the children from grade one up will be in here, and we're actually going to have the first service of Adventure Week next Sunday. I urge you to come 
and participate with these children and encourage them. But I also want you to do this, please. Find someone whose family is kind of disconnected from church. We don't recruit people out of other churches. I, I don't think that's real honorable. But there are lots of people who have no church. And encourage a, a family with kids to come and see just how our church loves children and teaches them in an interesting and an entertaining way so that they might know Christ. Father, I thank you for your blessings. I thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would produce much fruit in each of us and in all of us collectively. Amen. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. If you would like to know more about the many ways that you can connect with other Christians, or if you just have questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326. You can also find our past messages on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.